Good morning. Wow, it feels so extravagant in here today. Fancy. All right, I got to get you together. Got to make sure we're done before Allison's party. Two o'clock. That won't be a problem. Glad you're here. Good crowd today, lots of people in the place. I don't know if it's because we're starting the... uh, what some people would consider to be the most interesting, fascinating part of the story. Um, Kyle's been looking forward to this since Genesis. <laughs> um, but uh, we are starting to talk about the uh, sort of the, you know, what, what we talk about it is the end um, of the story, which is Revelation. And, but the way the Bible actually talks about Revelation and what's, what's coming next in the New Age is, is actually the beginning. <laughs> it's, it's a new beginning. And um, what, what I'm about to do over the next three and maybe four weeks, depending on how much uh, this I knock out um, in the next three weeks, is to, uh, I think, probably to open your mind a little bit. Um, I have some people that, that come in here early and pray for the sermon, and I told them this morning that I'm, I'm praying for open minds, open hearts. Many of you have a, a feeling about um, the end times. Some of you have uh, kind of done um, like an ostrich and just put your head in the sand and and don't want to talk about it, don't want to think about it, well, we're going to make you uh, think about it a little bit. And most of us have a pr- some presuppositions, some things that we already think about heaven and hell. Over the next three or four weeks, I'm going to tell you about the way that I, that I read the Bible as it, as it refers to the end of time and heaven and hell and who's going where and what, it, what it's all about from my perspective and the way I read the Bible. Now, that said, there, Rick said this morning, I think there's a big crowd here because not very many preachers preach on Revelation. And I whispered back, there's a good reason for that. <laughs> preachers don't preach on Revelation very often because it is confusing. It is hard. Um, some of the information is not great to hear. It's, uh, it can be hard to hear. Um, and truthfully, it's very controversial. And so it's taken me six years being in this church to preach it. Um, and I'm still pretty nervous about it. Um, today I'm just going to hint at it as we end the life of Paul and kind of kind of take a look forward at what's next. Um, but over the next few weeks, we're going to dig in really hard at some of the, the biggest questions that people have, um, that humans have about what's next, about heaven, about hell, um, about how God feels about all humankind, and about what the end looks like. See, I got your attention, don't I? Um, it's interesting. It's something we all want to learn about. And something you're going to be, over the next few weeks, if you're really engaged, at times you're going to be very interested. At other times you may be mad at me, and you're welcome to be mad at me. In fact, send me all the emails you want to. If you're mad at me and you want to send me an email, my email address is rickfinney at gmail.com. Okay? Uh, (laughs) uh, But there's going to be, I'm going to challenge you, I promise you. If you are in the building today and you have had thoughts about heaven and hell before, I promise you over the next three weeks they're going to be challenged. Because some of the things I have to say, some of the, some of the questions that I'm raising up are going to challenge you this week, uh, over the next few weeks. And I'm excited about that and a little bit nervous about that um, as we get going. So, 
Before we get going today, what, what I want to do more than ever, and we do this every week, as far as I know, every sermon I've ever preached in this building, I have done this before, I have preached, and that is to pray. And we don't pray just because it's that time in the service. Before I, I preach, I pray um, for a few different reasons, and, and today is no exception. Um, one, I pray that, that you get your hearts right, because there is a, there's this feeling in the Bible, and I've seen it play out in my life, that if you hear, if you just sit in your pew and you listen to what I say this morning from the Bible, and it just kind of goes in one ear and out the other, then it's actually worse for you than if you had never been here, Okay. If you can listen to the Word of God and not be changed by it, it's actually worse for you in your life to hear it and not change and not do anything than it is if you'd have never come in the first place. So that scares me. <laughs> and not only do I read it that way in the Bible, but I have seen that in life, that we become desensitized to the Word of God, and that's a scary thing. So what I want to do before we get started, I want to pray this morning that everything that is said, that you would kind of get some perspective on your life, that you would take, that you would listen today, and that you would apply it to your life, that not just you would listen, but that it would be applied to your life, um, that you'd keep an open mind and heart, open heart. The second reason I pray at the beginning of our sermon is because um, I need to get my life right. I mean, truthfully, if you're visiting here, um, that would be the only reason you don't know, but I, I'm, I'm not all together. I mean, if, if you've been here a lot, um, you know that for a fact, that I'm a mess, um, and that I, I'm just kind of dragging my mess better and better every day, and that's that's um, kind of the way I lead, and I'm doing better and better every day, but I, I've got a lot of things in my life that keep me from being one that should stand up and talk on behalf of God, unless God cleans me up and speaks through me, and that's what I'm going to pray he does. So that's what I'm doing today, and especially today when we talk about some topics that are confusing, some topics that are causing incredible controversy in our faith, um, and some topics that truthfully are life and death. Um, and I want to talk through those with God's um, picture in mind in those. So let's pray together, and then we'll jump right in this morning. God, we take a deep breath this morning, and, and with all of the honesty that we have, with all of the transparency that we can muster today, we stop to remind ourselves that... <clears throat> that we're not in charge. And when we try to take over our life and we try to, when we think we can create heaven here on earth by just a little more money, a little more time, a little more ingenuity, we can do it ourselves, that it ends up being hell. <clears throat> and so we acknowledge that today. And God, I, I'm just trying to be as honest as possible this morning and just saying we need your perspective. We need a br fresh breath of what this is all about. Just from my perspective, God, today, I've got I to gotta be honest. In my life, I've heard so much about heaven and hell. I've heard so many interpretations of revelation, so many big words I don't understand, so many metaphors that are interpreted different ways. God, I, it's overwhelming. And left to explain it ourselves, and me standing in front of people explaining revelation is absolutely overwhelming. And I flat just can't do it, and I won't by myself. So I'm praying one or two things happens this morning. Either, God, you shut my mouth, or you speak through me. So that the things I say are clear and true. Pray that you would clean me up, make me worthy of saying those things today. And we'll listen in your son's name. Amen. <clears throat> 
So if you're visiting with us, we're going through a series called The Story, and we're almost done. No applause, please. Um, this has been going through the, 2012. I mean, this has been an epic sermon series. And, you know, one of the things that Risha and I do in our, uh, in our marriage is that we, are, we try to be really completely honest with each other. And she, she said to me this week, are you, are you tired of the story? Be honest with me. And the right thing to say is, no, I could never get tired of a sermon series about the Bible. And I said, yeah, yeah, I'm tired of <laughs> it. I'm just, I'm, 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 I'm kind of worn out of, of trying to kind of dig through and find the, the things that I feel like in the story are most important to tell you. But I got to tell you, I am re-energized for the end. Because really, the culmination of the Bible is the last, the last couple, few books of the Bible, the books of John and Revelation. Now, John was, was a man who um, had a revelation from God. That's why the book is called Revelation. And one of my pet peeves is when people call it Revelations. Um, it is a book of revelations, but it is called the book of Revelation because it is one revelation that John had. It is a dream that John had that God gave John. It's a picture, a glimpse of the future, just a little bit of a picture of the future. And, you, you know, we have those in our lives, those moments of perspective, those metaphors or those things that kind of give us an idea of what's coming. Um, and one of those things that's happened for us, or that's, that's worked around here for us, is a concept that I, st- I shared five years ago. Um, and I went back and looked at my sermons. It was in May, uh, five years ago, that I shared a, a sermon um, called Living Between, Between the Trees. And it was a sermon series where I talked about what, what God wants from us while we are in what he calls this present age. And it confused some people, it kind of made some people mad, and it was really cool. It worked out really well. Um, it really kind of allowed us to kind of to dig through some of the questions we have. And so if you've heard me talk about this before, then this will just be a good reminder. If you haven't, this is an illustration that I use to, to kind of talk about the way God sees time and the way that he's thinking about the age that we're in right now. And it comes like this. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 9, God mentions a tree, um, a tree of life, okay? And we know the tree of life. If, you, if you've studied the Bible at all, you know that um, Adam and Eve took a fruit from the tree of life. That somehow, and this is confusing and this is hard and it, I don't totally understand this, but basically Adam and Eve weren't allowed all the trees in the Garden of Eden, everything on earth at that point they could have except for this one tree, the tree of life. And it had a fruit of it that they were not allowed to eat. And when they were to take this fruit, the, the snake, Satan, said it will make you like God and God doesn't want you to be like him, so he's trying to hold you down. Basically, it was the first time anybody in history had said, it's just another case of the man keeping you down. And Adam and Eve said, well, I want to be as close to like God as I can, so I'm going to take this apple. And when they took it, a few things happened. One, it, it destroyed their relationship with God because it was the one thing, the one sin they could commit, they committed. They found the one thing they could commit. But this tree of life then kind of was put on hold. It was, we kind of don't see much about it. We don't hear much about it in the Bible. Proverbs talks about it, just kind of references it. Um, Psalms references it every now and then. But this tree of life at the beginning of everything um, is the symbol. And then at the end of everything, in Revelation chapter 22, verse 2, um, you can see this. That, that tree of life resurfaces in our story. And God brings it back up. It says it runs down the center of the street. That's this, this, uh, the river that runs down the center of the street. On each side of the river was tree of life. Once again, 
an opportunity for, for us to, to engage and be around the tree of life. Now, so what we've talked about is that at the beginning of time in Genesis, God has created this tree of life, and at the end of time, the tree resurfaces. And it gives us this opportunity to talk about living between the trees, about the time between Genesis and Revelation. And in that time, we, we have learned so much in the story. We have heard so many stories. We've had so much faith kind of built on, um, on all of these stories throughout our, our series here. This is the time that Jesus was born. You and I are living in the time between the trees right now. And when we talk about heaven, and when we sort of see the end of time as we, as we know it, I, I want you to think a little bit differently than maybe you have before. When I was a kid, I, I heard a lot about heaven. Um, I, I grew up in the church. I heard a lot of preachers talk about heaven. I heard a lot of things that didn't make a lot of sense to me. In fact, I heard a lot of jokes about heaven. You know, all the jokes that start with St. Peter at the pearly gates? Um, there is no Bible reference that I'm aware of where St. Peter is a bouncer standing outside of heaven trying to decide who gets in and who doesn't. But somehow we have created this picture, and, and it, isn't, it isn't the way the Bible talks about heaven. We've created that. I, I remember I heard a preacher once, um, I was probably eighth grade, something like that, just the perfect time for me to be really bored at church, um, and there really wasn't much for me. And I was sitting in a pew, and one of the preachers said, you want to know what heaven will be like? And I went, huh, now, now I'm interested, because we all do, don't we? The preacher said, this is what heaven will be like. It'll be like a church service forever. And I thought, that sounds like hell to me, buddy. <laughs> See, we say these things, we, we do these, we, we create these metaphors. And truthfully, here's what I want to tell you today. Before we get started really digging in this, I'm nervous about this ser- series. Because some of the things I'm about to say are so important that they will shape the way you think about heaven and hell and eternity. And that will shape some of the things you do in your life. In fact, I'm, I'm nervous about talking to you about it, but I'm more nervous about talking to my children about it. Risha and I have been talking about this a lot lately. In fact, we mentioned it on the way here today. Um, on the way to church, she had to end up running out on an emergency this morning. But she drove me in, and, and we began talking. And I said, you know what? What we've got to do as parents is we've got to try to make sure that our kids have to unlearn as few things as possible when they get older. You know what I mean? When you get older and you're like, my mom and dad said this, but what? And you have to try to unlearn it. Risha, can we start to teach our kids in a way that they don't have to unlearn what we've taught them? And that may mean that we have to say, I don't know sometimes. That may mean that we don't say something when it's awkward and we don't just make up a phrase. I remember the first time somebody, that somebody I knew died and, and it really was hard for me. Somebody said they went to be with Jesus. And that was their way of saying, you know what? Let's just put a little bow on this and tie it up. And guess what? Guess who hated Jesus? Because they took my buddy. They took this person that I love. And all of a sudden, I got this, they, they took this concept that was very abstract and hard for a child to understand. And instead of just saying, you know what, this is hard to understand. We, I may not have an answer for you right now, but keep, stay with me and we'll get an answer to this. Instead of doing that, they wanted to tie a little bow on it and they tried to make something that was abstract really concrete. And let me tell you, that is dangerous. To tie a bow on something and make it look pretty when it's just not. In fact, one of the, the most haunting phrases in all of the Bible to me was uttered by Jesus Christ when he was on the earth. The most haunting thing he ever said. It actually didn't haunt me until I became a parent, and now it scares me to death. Jesus said this. Somebody were ask, was asking him about children and about the way we deal with children, and he says this. He says, if you lead a child astray, 
And the way he meant it was, if you lead a child in the way they think, astray. If you lead them in a direction that's astray, you should have a rock tied around your neck and you should be thrown into the sea. Now, Jesus didn't say that's what's going to happen. He said that's what should happen. That's the heart of God for those who lead children in the wrong direction. You should drown alive, basically. The harshest words Jesus have ever said come from those of us who are trying to lead children. And I'm going to tell you about this this morning, that some of the most damaging things, some of the hardest things to ever overcome are some of the things you hear when you're a child about heaven and hell. And so here's what I want to do today. You may not agree with me at the end of this. In fact, I promise you there will be a lot of you who don't agree with me about the way I talk about heaven and hell. But let me, let me tell you this. Don't ever say anything about heaven and hell and eternity that you haven't thought through and worked through on your own and, aren't, and don't have a good reason to believe. Don't say it because somebody else said it. Don't say it because you heard that it, it, it sounded better. Don't say it because it ties a nice little bow and maybe the kids will stop asking questions. Don't do it. It's dangerous, and it's perpetuated a problem we have about what heaven and hell really is. Now, the thing about this living between the trees is that right now, the Bible considers it to be, between Genesis and Revelation, this living between the trees, considers to be the present age. Every time the Bible uses the phrase, the, this present age, this is the period of time that it's talking about. You and I, right now, we're living in this present age. It's the time that Jesus was here. It's the time that Moses was here. It's the time um, all the way from Adam and Eve all the way to the end of the time. It's this present age. When Jesus talks about what's next, he calls it the coming age. He doesn't talk about heaven and hell. He doesn't use those terms very often. In fact, most of the time when, he, when we, he talks about what's next, he refers to it as the coming age. Check this out, Matthew 28. The very last thing he says to the people that were following him under the earth, Jesus came and said to them, all the power has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go and make followers of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to do all the things I have told you. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the world. That phrase, that phrase world, is the end of the age. It's the end of this time there will be another time there will be a new age and that's what we want to talk about you know throughout the bible there has been these these opportunities to to look forward to this age in fact if you look through the old testament it's one of the things that builds my faith the most about about God and about what's next in our life is that, that, all, that all the prophecies that were made in the Old Testament have come true or will be coming true soon. And we can begin to look back and say, look what the Bible says about this and look what happened. It happened. Most of those prophecies are about Jesus Christ himself um, and they're very specific and they're obvious that these, have, have, these prophecies have come true. God gives us these little glimpses of what's coming next to give us these deep breaths, to give us something to hope for, to give us an understanding. You know, it reminds me, I was, Risha and I were talking about this when uh, my, first, my kids went first to Disney World. I got to tell you, I am a Disney freak. I absolutely love Disney. That place you go in, and I know that some people, some Christians don't like Disney, and I, 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 that's another reason, and I don't know what that really is. But I can tell you, the experience I've had of Disney is blows me away. That place is amazing, and I feel like a third grader every time I walk in there. And... When we were getting ready to take London and Reese for the first time, I was trying to tell them about it, about Disney World. I was really pushing hard to tell them about Disney World. And, and I just wanted to build the hype, you know? Every time we talk about Disney World, Reese would be like, yeah, yeah, 
And, Reese, and London would go, yeah, well, that sounds like fun. And I just had that they had this picture in their mind like it was just an amusement park. Like it was just going to the mall and riding those little quarter rides. That's the only thing they'd ever seen. And that's what they had in their mind. And so as a dad who wants them to, to see what's coming, I begin to try to talk to them and try to, to build them. And because I can talk, you know that, I, I, I got some excitement built up. And they began to get this picture of what Disney looked like in their brain. And I began to talk about it, and they would talk back to me. And I'd say, no, it's not like that. It's more like this. And then I'd realize, no, it's really not like that. And the closer we got to Disney, the more excitement they got, and the more they built this picture in their brain about what Disney was going to be like. And the more anticipation I had. And we went into Disney, and I'll never forget, we went into Disney, and you, know, you, you go across, you, you get in, and they, they check your bags and all that. And just when you get up there, you see the Magic Kingdom. You get that, if you've never been to Disney, oh, that's awesome. This sermon isn't about Disney. But, but you, there's like 500,000 gallons of ice cream on every street. There's drinks. There's Mickey Mouse. There's, uh, it's just it's unfathomable. And when my kids walked in, I looked over at London. And Reese was still pretty young, but I looked over at London, and she was big time into Disney and watching Mickey Mouse and all that on TV. And I looked over, and I saw in her eyes that she had no idea what this really was. That all the things she could conjure up in her mind weren't even close. And all the things dad said fell short. Just, just gotta, gotta tell you this morning that this is, this is heaven. Now, Disney's better than heaven. I mean, heaven's better than Disney, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. Uh, you got it on tape. I can edit it. Heaven is better than Disney, I know that. But here's what, I, here's what the correlation I want to bring to you today, that you have formed an opinion about heaven. You have. Some of it, somebody, some preacher at some point told you that heaven is a, a church service, and it's made you feel like you're going to sit on a cloud and listen to a guy like me the rest of eternity. And, and some of you have, have, have thought better about it. You thought you might see family. You thought that maybe everything would just be gold or white, and you'd be kind of floating, and it would be... And you've formed these opinions about what heaven is. And some people like me, just like I did with London and Reese, have tried to tell you what heaven will be like. Truthfully, I don't know. I, I'm just trying to do the best I can to get you excited about it. But here's, the, here's what I know, and this is just me being real honest. Nobody here on earth really knows. It's better than you think it's going to be. And most of us don't live like we believe that. Most of us don't live like we believe that heaven is what God tells us it is. You know, I hear it all the time. If I'll say something like, Jesus is coming back, Jesus is coming back, somebody will say, well, I hope he waits till after spring break. <laughs> or when I'm, when I'm doing marriage counseling, well, I hope he waits till after the honeymoon. <laughs> Awkward pause. I hope he waits till after my kids grow up so I can see him grow up. I hope he waits till after I have grandkids. Because you, you just get this feeling like, I, if I just had enough time and enough money, I could create heaven on earth for me, right? And God paints this picture of heaven that can be confusing. Uh, it can be confusing. Just like when I told Reese in London about, about Disney World. Now, Mickey Mouse will be there. Yeah, Mickey Mouse will be there. But I'm watching him on TV, and he's a cartoon. Yeah, but he'll be there. Well, it's really a guy named Frank wearing a Mickey Mouse head. That's confusing for kids. It's the same thing for us. We don't have all the facts. We don't know. We, there are things about it that we will never grasp on this side of heaven. It can be confusing. It is met with skepticism. 
There was a time where Reese didn't want to hear about Disney. I'm done. I don't care. I, I don't get it. I don't believe it. There can't be that much ice cream in the world, none less than one street. This is not true. And that's true of you all today, too. There's a time where you just go, there is no heaven. There, this is not. This can't be right. And truthfully, in the end, it brings hope. And that's what I'm hoping most out of this. This is why I'm preaching this series on Revelation. This is why I'm not just going to make it a little blip in the story. I'm going to do this for three weeks, and we're going to dig through some of these metaphors, and we're going to hit through some of these things, and we're going to ask some tough questions, and we're going to answer some other questions, and we're going to leave some questions unanswered. But all of that is going to lead us to what I believe is the intent of giving us a glimpse of the future, and that is hope for the present. See, when we see differently our whole perspective changes. Now, at the end of the story, there's a man named Paul who, if you've, if you've ever heard about Paul, you know that this is one of the biggest conversions in the history of conversion. This guy was, uh, was basically going into areas, finding the Christians and killing them. In fact, today, can you imagine what would happen if I were preaching in the middle of my sermon, uh, a couple people rode in with, with swords and just said, you guys can't meet here, you're all being arrested. Unless you walk away and you denounce your faith right now. If you say, I'll never go to church again, I'll never worship God again, I'll worship the president instead. You can walk away from here and be free. What would you do? I know what you say you'd do. But this is the way people lived at this point. And Paul was at first, name was Saul, and he actually went around, went from city to city to city, finding Christians and executing them. Anybody who wouldn't say that, that Caesar was king, anybody that wouldn't say, or that would say that Jesus Christ was Lord, he would execute them. And this is who he was. And one day, this is what he says in Galatians, For you have heard of my previous ways of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, and I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. He thought he was doing the right thing. But he went through and he killed anybody who was a follower of Jesus. And look what happens to him. Next slide. There you go. In Acts chapter 9, verse 3. As he neared Damascus, basically Paul or Saul at this point is on his horse and he is going to another city to get a whole bunch more Christians and kill them. He's becoming well known. He is becoming the Christian killer. This is what he does. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul. Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless, I bet. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days, he was blind, and he didn't eat or drink. Now, at the end of the three days, uh, another man came to him and, and basically said, Saul, you're going to change the way you live. And after that experience, okay, yeah, you're going to change the way you live. Instead of, I love this story, instead of persecuting Christians, you're going to lead them. Instead of destroying churches, you're going to build them. Instead of being against what God has planned, you're going to be for it. And these scales fell off of his eyes and he began to see differently. He got a glimpse of what's next. When, when you get a little glimpse of what's next, it changes the way you live now. 
But when you get a little glimpse of what's eternal, what's real, what's bigger than you, it changes the way you live your life now. Look at this, Revelation chapter 21, verse 21. Now, Kyle, in the next couple weeks, we're going to dig into the metaphors and get into the dragons and the demons and the swords and all that stuff. I just want to kind of introduce that this week with Revelation chapter 21 because this is the picture, the little glimpse of Disney World. This is the little picture of heaven that God paints through a man named John. Here it is, Revelation 21, 21. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. It was coming down out of heaven from God. It was made ready like a bride is made ready for her husband. I heard a loud voice coming from heaven. It said, See, God's home is with men. So here's the picture. The picture that I'd had my entire life of heaven was this place somewhere else. In fact, all the photos, all the paintings that I saw when I was a kid, I was reading a book by a man named Rob Bell who who talks about this painting his grandmother had um, that haunted him his whole life. It was a painting of a big cavern of hell, and there was a cross across the cavern, and it led to this big golden-looking city on a cloud that was bright like the sun. And he said it haunted him his whole life, and he wondered what in the world this is. And that's the picture that we painted of heaven. Like it's somewhere else. Like, like heaven is going to be somewhere. We've got to go there. We've got we to gotta somehow get invited there. Peter's going to be the bouncer at the pearly gates, and we've got to get in and we've got to get out. But that's not the picture that Jesus paints. That's not the picture the Bible paints. Heaven, according to this, will be here. It'll be a new earth, which I'm pretty excited about. And truthfully, all the things that I love most in my life, besides my family, sports, I love sports. I can't imagine heaven being what I would picture it to be without sports, without watching it, without playing it. Now, I hope I have a better golf swing by then. But even if I didn't, there's something about being bad and getting better that I love. And I feel like all that comes from God. And I always thought, how can I play golf in a white robe sitting on a cloud going on the rest of my life? But when I get the real picture, when I quit listening to people trying to tie a little bow around it, and when I get the real picture of what heaven is, I realize that the reason I have those passions, the reason my heart beats fast when I see a sunset over a mountain, is because this is where heaven will be. Those little feelings, those little emotions, those little heartbeats, those little moments where you go, this is the way it should be. That moment on the first tee when the dew's coming, just perfect and the fog's up a little bit and you hit one right down the middle and you go, it's because that's the feeling. That's just a glimpse. And it will be here. That might surprise you already. Now we're going to talk about what that means for those who have passed. We're going to talk about what that means as where is heaven now, because obviously heaven isn't right here right now. At the end of the age is what we're looking at right now. And over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about what that means for heaven and, and hell and where everything is. But what Jesus says is at the end, when we get past the tree in Revelation, when we get past the tree of life here, everything starts over. And when it starts over, the goal is that everything is new. And here's where the hope comes in. I heard a loud voice Coming from heaven. Now, when God says loud, can you imagine? Loud. A loud voice coming from heaven. And it says, see, look, God's 
home is with men. You know, God's come to earth two other times. First time he came to earth, he was walking around the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. And he was basically kicked off the planet because of sin. Not that you could ever kick God off, but basically what he said is, I can't be where there is sin. I am gone, and God left the planet. Then he, he, he had to be back where men were, so he sent Jesus, whose name was Emmanuel, God with us. He sent Jesus, and what happened when Jesus came? He hung on the cross, the worst execution you could do. The two times God had come, one time he got kicked off violently because of sin, the second time he was crucified on a cross. Why would he want to come back again? Next time, it'll be different. The last time, the Bible says, the last time that God comes to earth, he comes to dwell with men, and it will be different. And if you're a parent today, you know why God would come back a third time. There is nothing ever. Risha and I have talked about this with our kids. No choice that my kids can make where they couldn't come home. There's no bad attitude, there's no bad choice, there's no bad thing, there's no bad person they could marry. There's no situation where they couldn't come home. You know where that feeling comes from? It's God. It's, it's God in me. It's, I'm made in the image of God. And as a parent, I know what it feels like. And God says, at some point, even in the midst of all the messes you've made, see, because this is what we've done. God gave us all the earth that it was ours and we screwed it up with sin. God then gave us Jesus and we screwed it up. We put him on the cross. And then God gave us the Holy Spirit. And in my opinion, we've been messing up the Holy Spirit. We've been misusing the Holy Spirit since the first day the church opened. Now, sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad, but I don't know how God takes it. We mess up the Holy Spirit so much. And we use it for our own good. But God still has a plan for you to redeem now, I don't know what you've heard about heaven and hell, and some of you are going to be surprised about what I'm going to say about it over the next few weeks. But I can tell you this, that God's plan, His picture of the future looks like this. It's a new heaven, a new earth, where everything is clean, where everything is new. And check this out. I heard a loud voice coming from heaven. He will live with them. They will be His people. God Himself will be with them. This will be the first time since Adam and Eve that God himself in person will be with them. Now, the Bible says that nobody's ever seen the glory of God. And it's funny, if you look through the Bible, there are these times where God lets just a little bit, like it leaks out. <laughs> like people are with God or around God and his spirit, and every now and then a little bit of his glory leaks out and they <laughs> fall to the ground, worship him. Truthfully, the way the Bible explains being with God is that at that moment, you will get clarity on everything in your life. That feeling that you have when you hit the ball right down the middle and you're the only one on the golf course. That feeling that you have when you're on the lake. That feeling you have when you're with your family and there's nothing else to worry about. In that moment of peace, you will be living in that. It will never change and it will be obvious to you. It will be apparent to you that the reason for that feeling and the reason for everything is standing in front of you. That's the glory of God. And when that happens, you, the choice that you have to love God, you still choose it, but there is no choice in your heart. It will be so full. It will be so easy to love God. And then, look what he says. The very first thing that happens when the new earth and the new heaven is here. God will take away all their tears. Like a good father. Like a good dad. He will look down in all of the tears. I heard it this morning. Dave's got a friend who's his age has got cancer. 
dying, going to be dead in a week. I, I got Mary's sister got bad news, cancer. We got people dying, we got people hurting, we got people... Fr- Here's the thing. The world has promised us a great life, but it can't fix those things. No matter how much money you have, no matter how much you buy, no matter how much you get, there's going to be pain, there's going to be hurt, there's going to be death. God says at that moment when everything is new, nothing ever hurts again. Reese and I were in the driveway this week and playing basketball and he hurt his ankle. And it scraped pretty good. I immediately started bleeding, you know. And blood to a four-year-old is like, ah! and he's trying to be tough. And he's crying and at the same time trying not to cry, you know. And I just said, oh, buddy, it's merely a flesh wound. And it made him laugh hysterically. And he was all at the same time crying, laughing, and trying to be tough. And the blood came out of his ankle. And I had that, if you're a dad, you know what I mean, that kind of like, ah, oh, no more ankles bleeding. No more tears. The very first thing God does is wipe the tears. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All the old things have passed away. Those who wash their clothes, check this out. Those who wash their clothes clean are happy, in parentheses, who are washed by the blood of the Lamb. They will have the right to go to the city through the gates. Look at this last line. Remember we've been talking about the trees. They will have the right to eat the fruit of of the tree of life. When you, we will see God in all His glory. We will share in everything that God has. We'll see it all. It's an amazing, amazing picture of the future. Check this out. Next slide. Revelation chapter 21, verse 6, he says this. Then he said to me, These things have happened. I am the first and the last. I love this. God says, you know, we've said that the thing about living between the trees is that God can see everything that's going on between the trees. So the things that happened in Genesis, God's seeing right now. And the things that haven't happened yet in our lifetime, God already sees. And he can look at this and say, I can see this. This has already happened to me. This has happened. I'm the first and the last. I'm the beginning and the end. To anyone who is thirsty, I will give the water of life. It is a free gift. You know what thirsty means in this language, the way it was written? Anybody who has the feeling that there has to be more than this. You know that feeling. You get up in the morning and you think, am I going to work again? (laughs) To work 10 hours or 8 hours so that I can go home for 4 hours and then sleep for 8 hours and then go back and do it again? That's what I'm doing? There's got to be more than this. Jesus says, "If anybody who's thirsty, anyone who is thirsty can come to me. Now, throughout this series, we've been saying that there is an opportunity for you. An opportunity for you to take your story and add it to God's story and say, God, you can have my story. You can have my story. You can build. Now, 50 of you did it this week every day at VBS. You get to say, all right, God, I, I've, I, you can have my story for this amount of time, and I, I'm just going to add to it. And look what happened this week. It's an amazing week. And we want to give you an opportunity today to do what God has been planning from the beginning of time. And that is for you to be whole, for you to be full of hope and joy and peace and all the things that God is planning. And as we go through these next three weeks, what I'm praying for each and every one of you, and it starts today, is that that feeling that you have 
that there's two feelings. One of them is the feeling you have when you're on the lake or you're on the golf course or you're, you're with your family. That peace, that moment of peace that kind of goes away and you kind of grab at it, that you start to see that as the glimpse that God has given you of heaven. And that you get a picture of the way he wants to wipe away your tears. And that his plan for you is to be whole. The second thing I want you to be thinking about through this time is as you look through life and as you see things that are broken, to, to internalize it. As you see things that hurt, as you see things that don't seem right to you, when you see somebody who's young and is dying, when you see the pain, when you see the brokenness, call it out, God, this is not the way you intend for life to be. And over the next few weeks, we're going to pray that God will give us some perspective on what's next. Today, I want to remind you that it's okay to have questions about the future. What I'd like for you to do if you're here and you're going to plan on being here for the next few weeks is to keep a notebook of some sort and start writing down your questions. Now, now what I'm promising you is that I won't have answers to all those questions. I'm telling you that right now. Now, what, what I'm planning to do, um, and I'll let you know next week what days those are going to be, but we're going to have three Wednesdays where we're going to come together on a Wednesday in this building in the evening and we're going to talk about Revelation. So that we can have one-on-one conversations and we can answer questions and we can ask more questions because some of that can't happen here on Sundays. My sermons are long enough the way it is. Um, But so I want you to be ready for that and I'll give you those dates next week. Um, And I I want you to start to open your mind. Remember that that there are things that will be confusing and things that will be frustrating, but it's worth it. Don't put your hope in the things around you. If you don't get anything else out of the Revelation series, that's the most important thing. That the hope in your life does not come from this world. That God has a plan that is bigger and that what he intends for us to do is to spend our time, our energy, our effort on the things that are eternal and not the things that will go away. And then finally, band, you guys can come up. Make sure you're ready for what's next. When I was in college, I was studying Revelation and honestly, I don't remember much about it. It was Bible college and there were lots of big words and um, lots of Greek and lots of things that I still don't remember. But I remember this panic feeling. Risha and I were talking about this on the way in this morning too, that there's this panic feeling you have, well, how do we know I'm right? How do we know we're right? There's lots of religions. There's lots of people, lots of smart people. How do we know that we're right? How do we know that we have it? We're going to be talking about that over the next few weeks. And I, I raised my hands. The only time I ever asked a question in, during that whole Revelation class, all these smart people around me, and I got this anxiety, this panic feeling that maybe I'm going to hell. Maybe I, don't real, maybe I don't understand what revelation really means. And I raised my hand and I said, I'm scared. And I meant to say something else, but that's all that came out. And everybody in the class went, whoop, looked over at me. And the professor said, son, I'm going to ask you something that your dad asked you when you were young. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? I said, yes, sir, I do. He said, do you believe that when you die, it's not up to you where you go? Yes, sir, I do. He said, then you got nothing to be afraid of. I don't remember another thing he said from that class. I don't remember. I wish I did now. I'm preparing these sermons. I don't remember anything else. But I remember the day he looked at me and he said, make sure you're ready. And God will sort the details. I'm going to give you the chance to do that this morning. I'm going to go back to that corner. But if you want today to receive Jesus for the first time, you want to make sure you're ready. 
to do that today. Would you stand with us and sing?